welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 30th of September 2017. And we are at the end of the third quarter of the year. We're into quarter four. We're going from October to December now. And this is your last quarter to hit those targets for the year. Now, over the next two weeks in these diaries, I'm going to be reviewing this week the targets from quarter three. And then next week, I'll tell you what my targets are for quarter four, the final quarter of the year. Before we review quarter three, let me just go through this week's writing news. And I've just finished, at the time of recording this, I've just finished my my edit of One Fatal Error. So I write the book. My wife reads it as we go along. Uh, the first edits I do are the changes that she's made, where she finds continuity errors. Uh, there was a bit today where she said, actually, too much information, just remove that. And, actually, and she was right, so I did that. Um, she looks for the plotting errors, uh, consistencies, all those sorts of things. So I give it a sweep with my wife's changes and then I go through it bit by bit by bit. So I did um, up to chapter seven, end of chapter seven last weekend. And then today I've just worked through chapters eight, nine and ten. And after I've done this diary and had a cup of tea, just um, cleared my mind. I will just be doing a, a one last sweep because one of the things I, I found that I've got into, I did it in uh, Dead of Night and I got caught in it in this book is that I, I kind of had miscellaneous baddies and I haven't really figured how many baddies I need when I start writing the baddies but it, I figure it out as I go along so when I come back to do the edit on the book I have to think right how many baddies are there who's carrying what as a gun uh, or a weapon and um, have I polished them all off at the end or have I dealt with them all at the end and I know that when Helen was editing Dead of Night, she, she got back to me mid-edit and said, how many are they and what they're called? Because you've basically got to have this this list of bad guys and you've got to tick them off as they all meet their horrible fate. And um, this didn't happen in Burden of Guilt because there, it wasn't that kind of a book. But in this book, again, we've got a lot of bad guys to polish off. And, um, and I'm having to go through and do my body count as I go through and make sure all weapons are accounted for. And this sounds like a funny problem to have, but actually when you're writing thrillers, you, you do have to do this. You have to make sure that all the weaponry and, uh, and the evil guys are accounted for, um, you know, so that the, the book makes sense. So I'll just be doing that final run this afternoon. Um, and I've given them all names now and then I just need to tick them off and make sure they're all dead at the end. We can't have some stray bad guy wandering around at the end of the book. So it's a funny problem to have, but it's actually what I've hit a couple of times now. Um, so that's uh, one fatal error edited. What I might do, I might on Sunday, I've got a, a, a largely free weekend. I, I've, obviously, I've always got things on, um, but it's a weekend where I don't have um, writing things to do. I haven't got a writing day or anything in, like that built into the weekend. So it's a fairly flexible feast. And I may just, just give it a quick skim through. Now, now I've edited it. It goes to Helen Fazal, who gives it a really decent edit. Now, clearly I don't want to present Helen with a heap of junk with loads of inconsistencies on it because number one, it's not really fair to Helen. 
But number two, um, I, I'll pay for it. You know, if I'm, if I give Helen a, a complete pig's ear of a story, it's going to take her a certain amount of time to deal with that. So, um, the better the story that I give her, the more consistent it is with the style guides that we have worked out between us, uh, then obviously the, the less that's going to cost me, uh, as an edit. Uh, but also it means Helen then can concentrate on the smaller things, the spelling, the structure, uh, really rather than unpicking this great horrible knot that I've created. Um, so I need to send it to Helen on Monday. So it'll leave me. I'll send it probably evening on Sunday. And I'll just give it a couple of run throughs, uh, probably use Grammarly, Autocrit, something like that, just to spec for, check for spelling, grammar errors, do, do, do those last things. Um, and also I always work through the style guide that, that I have, uh, just to make sure that I've been consistent with spellings. And I am, I am getting better at remembering this stuff because Helen and I have done Ooh, how many books now? Uh, tw- 12 books between us now. Um, so I am getting the hang of the style guide now. You'll be pleased to hear. So that's one fatal error, uh, will be edited and off at the end of this weekend. And then I might, I'm hoping to start writing the next book next week. Uh, but if, if not, if I'm just not ready by then, if I haven't quite got the idea ready by then, I can actually, uh, start writing on the, the 13th or Friday the 13th. That's probably not a good day to start a book, is it? But Friday the 13th of October, um, that's the latest date on which I can start and still have that book written in plenty of time for Christmas. So from one thing to the next thing, we never draw breath really as in the authors. In general news, I forgot to mention this last week. I'd, I'd been moaning about the struggles I'd had delisting my books on Kobo uh, because I needed them to go exclusive with Amazon while I'm spending out on Amazon ads. Now, I haven't really had uh, much of a chance to intelligently interrogate my Amazon ads at the moment, other than to say that I I set up a lot of ads. I'm not really spending very much, but I am selling more books, um, particularly of the MailChimp book. Now, whether that's coming from the Amazon ads or not, or just organic search, I don't know, but I am selling. Now, when I say a lot of MailChimp books, those of you who sell paperback books will know that generally, unless you have a stall or you go to some kind of comic con and you put them on a desk and you sell them. So unless you've got some kind of vehicle uh, for selling paperback books, on average, I don't really shift very many paperback books in a month. The Secret Bunker buy them off me uh, a batch load at a time. So I'm probably lucky and exceptional in that respect. But my other books don't, you know, they just sell in dribs and drabs. Um, I think I sold something like 33 of the MailChimp book this month. And um, there's quite a good bit of profit on those. I think I make about £4 per book on those. I priced it at, at um, 9.99. Uh, so so I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And I'm not sure whether that's coming from the Amazon ads yet. Um, what I have done over the next quarter, and I'll, I'll go into this in more detail with you next week when I talk about my quarter four goals and plans, but I have scheduled marketing days uh, up till the end of this year because I just know that um, I'm very good at production. Uh, I have no problems with production, but uh, I, I, as I've said on these diaries in previous weeks, I can't just keep producing. I can't just keep being good at production and not getting the sales right. So uh, I've actually, you kind of get what you focus on. You, you get what you focus your time on. So I am specifically going to schedule marketing time, time related to marketing activities over this quarter to make sure that I really start to push the marketing that I'm doing on my books. But I'll talk to you more about that because that's part of uh, my quarter four plans. 
for this year. But anyhow, I, I've managed to delist the Kobo books. It was a pain. It, it may have been my fault. I'm not sure. This new Kobo thing that they've got, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. They've, you've got standard Kobo and then you can go into the Kobo super duper marketplace or, or whatever it is. Um, it, it's a little bit like, or it seems to be a little bit like their equivalent of KDP Select, whatever it is. I, I, I listed it in those. It, it may have been because I was listing that that I had problems delisting, but you know, it was still too much problem. My aspiration to list directly on Kobo persists. I will get through this next quarter with my plans to use Amazon ads and to do all the things that I'm doing while I'm in KDP Select. Uh, and then I will reconsider Kobo probably in quarter one of 2018. I've returned this week to a technique that worked really well for me when I launched The Secret Bunker. I'm sure I did it with The Grid as well. Um, I've gone back onto Goodreads and you know what it's like. This is why I say I need to pay more attention to my marketing. Since I've been a thriller writer, I just haven't got around to putting the, the books on Goodreads. But I can tell you that Goodreads, when you're listed on there, it gives your books brilliant search engine visibility. I'm aware of this because I've already seen The Grid of the Secret Bunker, which were listed on Goodreads. And the other thing that I found tremendously useful on Goodreads is uh, having an author profile, obviously, for your books and then creating a giveaway. Now, the lesson I learned from giving away paperbacks on Goodreads was that um, be careful what you wish for. So the first giveaway I ever did, I, I shifted, um, I got loads of interest in the giveaway about, I think it was about 2000 people. It was certainly well over a thousand and nearing 2000 if it didn't reach 2000, um, because I did, I did several giveaways. But basically you say you've, you're giving away maybe five copies of a paperback of your book. I, I think ebooks are coming later on Goodreads, which will be brilliant and spectacular. But at the moment it's paperbacks. And I gave away five copies and I did it worldwide. And most of those copies, as usual, you give away in the States and Australia. And the postage was a fortune for it. Now, I say a fortune, it was, you know, it's about 50 quid to send off four books um, altogether. So it's a lot of money, not a fortune. That's probably the wrong word to describe it. But it hurt. Let's put it that way. It hurt as a postage cost. So um, I learned my lesson from that. And actually, you'll get good activity. You won't get as much activity, but you'll get eight. I got 800, 700 people maybe taking part in a giveaway when I made it UK only. And of course, the postage costs then are, are peanuts. And so I've listed Burden of Guilt as a Goodreads giveaway. I've got an author page now for Paul J. Teague. And I'm also going to be listing the uh, Don't Tell Meg trilogy probably. And I'll do... Um, Dead of Night as well as Goodreads uh, giveaways. So they work uh, really well. And um, I, I don't pay much attention to Goodreads. I know my wife uh, is an avid reader and pretty well reviews everything on Goodreads. I just don't really get review culture. I know that as an author, I need reviews. But as a reader, I kind of read a book and I don't really review it. I don't feel the need to. Yeah, I'm painfully aware of how useful it is um, for authors. So there is this tension there between what I understand about reviews and, and what I think about them. But my, my wife is a reviewer and um, I just don't get it. And, and Unless I am hugely enthusiastic about a book or if I know the author and specifically want to support the author in, in, in a book, um, an indie author. So for instance, I did this with Sarah Painter who runs the Worried Writer podcast. She'd written a nonfiction book, which I was very keen to read. I read it and then proactively reviewed it to help her with that indie publishing experience. Um, so, I, But I don't do it routinely. I wouldn't pick up a book from Stephen King or Harlan Coburn or something and then review that. I just read it and enjoy it if I do it at all. So um, review culture is something that I struggle with. Hence, Goodreads is something that I struggle with. But um, I'm not blind to the fact that Goodreads 
serves me as an author really, really well. Number one, it, it lists all my books beautifully uh, together. That's fantastic. Um, it gives me great search engine visibility. And I really do like these giveaways. They work tremendously effectively. Loads of people um, add your books to their, their reading list in Goodreads. And so therefore more people see you. So it, it's well worth uh, having. And um, I'm quite surprised at how many reviews I've got through Goodreads as well. Um, so don't, don't knock it. Um, I might not get it, but I'm not going to knock it. And I would recommend that you use Goodreads in that way. It's very good. I um I wanted to mention something about BookFunnel this week. Um I have a, a BookFunnel account and I have an Insta Freebie account and BookFunnel did a great thing this week. Uh they are now allowing you to sell your books through BookFunnel. Now this this is a big deal because um BookFunnel um will allow you to to make the payments. So they've linked up with sales uh, with PayHip and with PayPal so that you can buy a book, you can People can buy your book, your ebook. And the great thing about BookFunnel, though, is, is that in the old days when people bought a book, you had to find some way of sending them an EPUB or a Mobi file, and then you'd get the inevitable technical issues of, I can't add this to my reader. How do you do it? And then you're caught up with customer support. Believe me, somebody who's done this at scale as an internet marketer, keep out of customer support as much as you can. Uh, people go into customer support to die. It's a horrible experience. I really don't enjoy doing customer support. And, and the great thing about BookFunnel is, is that they will deliver your eBooks for you and they handle the customer support. If you said to me, why use BookFunnel? That, that's why. They handle all the hassle with customer support. They talk customers through how to actually get the file onto their readers. Now, now they're allowing you to sell books as well. This is amazing because you, uh, in the old days, you had to just deliver the file yourself. You could now take the money and get paid for your book directly. And BookFunnel will take all the support hassle out of um, people actually getting the book on their on their reader. Now, most people will have no trouble getting the book on their reader, but for those ones that do, you can get into real technical hell with them. So I think this is fantastic. Now, if you're in the UK, just a word, word of advice here. When you sell digital goods online, oh, and I should put this disclaimer on. I'm not an accountant. This is not advice, blah, 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 blah. This is just personal experience. Um, but there is something called VAT Moss in the UK, which basically means that we have to levy VAT at the appropriate rate for the EU country or whatever it is um, when we sell electronic goods. And this is one of the things that's put me off selling electronic goods. Now, with BookFunnel, this allows me now to sell my electronic books because PayHip manages payments and manages the VAT Moss payments. So if you levy VAT on the price of the book, PayHip then will manage the VAT element of that without you having to do accounts for every single book you sell. It counts as a different transaction um, as to whether you know you levy the VAT or they levy the VAT. Now, again, this is not financial advice. I know nothing about money, but I I have read up on this. And PayHip was um, that there's a, there were a couple of people who who took the VAT pain from you, and PayHip was one of them. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is that you may be tempted just to leap into using PayPal because it's the most familiar one there. Now, PayPal is a pain with VAT if you've got to levy VAT. So I would generally recommend, again, this is a UK thing because we have this, this Euro uh, VAT MOS to apply. I would generally recommend to, to skip PayPal because of that, because you're then going to get into VAT deep waters. I did have a look at sales. I don't know sales intimately, but I don't think sales manage the VAT for you either. But I do know this because when the VAT MOS thing came in about two years ago, PayHip was one of the 
the, the people, the services that came forward as, as a great one to use to manage the VAT. It just relieves you of all the paperwork, all the hassle and all the nonsense. So I am going to be selling my eBooks when I get around to listing them via PayHip through book, book Funnel. And that is a fabulous thing because you can now sell digital books through your own website. And in terms of being a diversified author, this is a great thing to do, of course. So that's just a little bit of a, a, a by the by. And if I, again, if I get round to it, um, I quite like to make a little video on how to set this up because I went in and set up my PayHip account before I recorded this today, had a quick look at it, thought, oh, fantastic, I'm doing this. Um, before I do it, though, I've got to make sure that that doesn't breach my uh, terms on KDP Select because we also have to be aware of KDP Select. Uh, when we're in KDP Select, we're not allowed to sell on other channels. What I'm not sure, and I've got to check the small print, is whether I'm allowed to sell them myself on my own platform. The answer is probably no, but I'll check that before I do it. Okay, so uh, I did two podcast interviews this week. Uh, brilliant one with Fred Freeman, who's a co-founder of Bloodhound Books. Now, uh, if you've been listening to this diary for a long, long time, since virtually since we started, you'll know that I like Bloodhound Books and I'm very interested in Bloodhound Books. There are a couple of... Um, I don't know what you call them really. They're not traditional publishers. They, they, they primarily sell, they like Bookature. They primarily sell digital versions of books. They offer better royalty rates for the authors. And they're just, they're just cooler than traditional authors. They're kind of in this middle ground in that they, they provide all the great things that traditional publishers do. So they'll sort your cover out. They'll do your, um, editing and, and get the book ship shape for, 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 for selling and, and getting out there and launching and they'll do your marketing for you or they'll, they'll take the strain on your marketing. Um, but you don't sign your life away with them like you do with a traditional uh, author. Uh, there are break clauses in there and the whole thing's just slightly different. It's an evolution. It's something between indie and traditional. And I, I've had my eye on a number of these before and you probably hear me blowing hot and cold about whether I'd like to submit to them or not. And I have submitted to, to, um, Bloodhound books in the past. And actually I got a bite at a request to submit a full, um, book to them. That was Don't Tell Meg. And then, um, so I submitted Don't Tell Meg to them. It all went quiet. And then, um, Fred contacted me. I think it was Fred contacted me or I can't remember how it worked anyway, but Fred came on the podcast. And when I was uh, chatting to him, he said, Oh, by the way, I submitted a book to you, but I think it died a death. I think it, um, I never heard from you. And Fred said, Oh, uh, that's unusual. You, know, you should have heard from us. Um, and, and it just looks like my, my book maybe just fell between the stools. I'm, I'm not sure what happened with it. Um, but anyhow, this is a long way around as usual of telling you that I interviewed Fred. I, I, I felt like at the end of it, I didn't mean to, but I felt like I'd really kind of probed him about the model on, um, on Bloodhound Books really kind of pushed him about royalties and, and, uh, you know, all the, all the intricacies of, of whether you're an author on Bloodhound books and, and whether you get caught or not. And at the end of it, I, I left thinking, sure, I, I would really like to get some of my thrillers on Bloodhound books. So I don't want to go, well, not unless I make a lot of money from it, but I don't really want to go all in, um, on, on something like that. I want to, I, I would really, really like to, I would really, really like to access the benefits that you get from being a traditional author. I'd like to deal with people who know about my genre, people who can be a sure hand with my books, uh, telling me what's wrong and what I can improve and what I need to be better, do better. People who can bring my thrillers to a thriller audience, a dedicated thriller audience. And Bloodhound Books could do that. And I, I left that interview with Fred feeling really excited about it and, um, thinking, Joa, I'm submitting here again and I'm going to push this until I get to that, that, no, thank you very much. We're not going to publish these stage. But I just felt, um, I feel like my thrillers are strong. 
Uh, I know they're not perfect, but I would, I really feel that as an author, I would benefit from having that kind of input from people who really know the genre and can help to lead me through it and to find an audience. And, um, you know, the terms are fair. Um, I, I, you get more of a percentage than you would with trad. Uh, you listen to the interview with Fred to hear how that works, but it was a deal that would work for me because I would get something from it as well. So I am going to submit, resubmit, um, again, uh, the Don't Tell Meg because that was actually on a, we want to read the full script kind of stage. And, uh, and of course I have three other standalone thrillers now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even a monkey submitting four ought to get one through, surely. So I, I'm going to give it a try. And, uh, I, I would, I really am interested in Bloodhound books. Very, very interested as a result of that interview, which runs uh, in October. I also recorded a interview this week with Dan Wilcox. Now, um, Dan is a team of four in the UK who run a story studio. Now, probably the only other story studio you'll be aware of if you listen to podcasts is the self-publishing podcast guys, uh, Sterling and Stone. They have a story studio. A story studio is basically where a group of writers get together and, and, and they market as a team and they have podcasts and they um, maybe have uh, movie scripts and things like that. There, there are a writing uh, group of people and, and a lot of the royalties go into the, the business pot. So they're stronger as a team. And uh, when I discovered Dan was a, a UK member of a story studio, I wanted to get them straight on and talk to them and find out about that. Uh, fascinating interview with Dan. That's running uh, again in October. So it's had a really good week for recording uh, podcast episodes this week. And then the last little bit of news I've got to tell you is I can't believe this. I got my first author talk booking and it's paid again, by the way, uh, a paid booking um, for August 2018. Can you believe? Now I'm on the the, the geek circuit. So I, I do talks, but I don't think I've ever been booked as far ahead as it's virtually a year, isn't it? It's certainly 10 months ahead um, for August 2018. And this was a request from the Historical Novel Society. They have a conference in Scotland in August. And, um, and, I, and I'm booked in to do a talk at that now. And the talk is going to be about using vellum as an author and uh, presumably uh, interest piqued by the fact that I, I teach how to do it on a PC as well as a as a Mac computer as well. So uh, really looking forward to that. And, and that was from a contact that I made, Margaret Skier, who um, I met at in Scotland, in Edinburgh, while I was doing the Amazon sessions for the Alliance of Independent Authors. So it really is like indie author happy families. And, and I keep saying about this, you should network. When you network, you'll be surprised what happens as a result of that networking. And and uh, I've also, um, when I met Margaret in Edinburgh, I'd said to Margaret, oh, I must talk to you for the podcast. So this week, not only has Margaret booked me in for the historical um, Novel Society Conference in Scotland, I've booked Margaret in <laughs> on, my, on my podcast as well. So it's all good stuff, isn't it? And, and really the bottom line of this is, you know, try and try network, try and network with other authors, either in in-person events or online um, on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever suits your personality. Because I, I appreciate that not everybody likes to go out. And uh, would you believe it? You know, I'm actually quite shy of these things. I, I have to take a deep breath when I go to these, these sessions. And I, I find that it helps me. And um, when I, when I was a teenager, I, I was always pretty shy and, um, I used to run the discos. I used to run the disco and I actually used to find that I always prefer to be in a, in a, in a kind of business position when I go to those things because people talk to you because they kind of recognize you through the business. And I find it easier to make contacts there rather than just social chit chat. So when I was a teenager, rather than being at the discos, I ran the business and, 
and, and not only could you hear behind the disco decks, um, everybody would come to talk to you. So it was actually more sociable being the DJ. Um, and, and some people might say, well, hang on, doesn't that require a tremendous amount of confidence? Well, no, it, no, not really. A different kind of confidence it requires. Um, but I, I used to find that a great way of coping in those social, social situations. And I did it uh, when I was at college. I used to run the D- discos there and, and talk to everybody. But in that, primarily in that business capacity. And, and that's how I find this podcast useful too. When I go to uh, 20 Books to 50K in London, I'll know loads of people already through having interviewed them for the podcast. And to me, that that works as a great social icebreaker and makes those events a lot more uh, easy for me because like many uh, authors and you wouldn't believe it I know when you hear me talk here every week but uh, and, and the fact that I was on the radio for years but you'd be surprised many people in radio are are introverts I know that sounds bizarre because you're broadcasting to thousands of people but actually you're not <laughs> you're, you're broadcasting just to one you're talking into a microphone and you can't see them if if I um somebody told me once when I was doing a breakfast show in Barrow and Furness uh, he said, Oh, you've got 20,000 people listening to you when you do your breakfast show. And 20,000 people, I think, is, is at the time the size of the number, the number of people that you could fit into Wembley Stadium. Now, there is absolutely no way when I ever stand on a stage and talk to 20,000 people in the old Wembley Stadium. But the radio was fine because it was just me talking into a microphone. So we're strange, aren't we, as human beings? I'm supposed to be talking you through. Uh, my progress in quarter three. So I, I just got one more bit of news for you and, uh, and then I'll get on with it very quickly. Um, we hit another deadline, not a deadline. We hit another, um, peak on the podcast this week. Um, again, I know this pales into insignificance with other podcasts that, that people are running. When I was talking and doing the podcast review with Dan Wilcox, he has a podcast that's hit a million downloads, over a million downloads in, I think about a year, something like that. A- absolutely incredible. Um, but, this little podcast has hit uh, 25,000 downloads now, um, which feels like a, a small uh, but significant milestone to hit. Um, and, and the downloads are very consistent. And I think what's most gratifying, certainly in recent months, is just the number of people now who who are coming to talk to me on social media or sending me emails or giving feedback. And, and that's the thing I, I think, that's the thing I take as the, the best sign of growth and that hopefully I'm doing something that uh, people are finding uh, useful. So 25K, uh, there's a long way to go, I know, but it is at least a milestone for the podcast. Okay, hear my chair creak as I turn around to look at my planning board. I'll put a photograph of the quarter three planning board on the page resources for this week, but I just wanted to talk through what's been done in this quarter and review it. So quarter three is July to September. And of course, on my planning board, right at the top there, I wanted to write my third thriller of the year. And I write in 5,000 word batches. And of course, all the line of green ticks are there. That's been done. I also had thriller two to sort out, which was burden of guilt. So as well as writing one, I've had to edit one. So Thriller 2, I had to do the final read, put it through Vellum, write the blurb, put it on Kindle, make the paperback and release it. So that's been done. Um, this has been a lovely quarter. Uh, we've had a ridiculous year this year for trips. And we went to Alicante in this quarter. Um, we did the Caledonian Sleeper. Um, I did all sorts of things with the family that we said we were going to do. So it's been lovely. It's been um, it's really important. I, I know I say this on, on, on this diary quite a lot. But you can't just work all the time. It can't just be work, work, work. You've got to feed your creative mind. Um, so I do make sure I have these regular little trips um, to make sure that it's not just constant work uh, all the time. And I know Joanna Penn's writing a book on on health for 
authors. And I think uh, good physical mental health is really important and taking those breaks is part of that. So, so lots of jollies in this quarter. Um, the other thing is uh, the podcast. Uh, I wanted to record episodes 80 to 90 of the podcast. I think I've exceeded that. I think I'm booked up now to um, had a really good run on booking. So I'm actually scheduled. I'm actually scheduled, would you believe? So these aren't recorded, but they're booked. I, I'm i up to the week before Christmas Day at the moment on my schedule. So I've had a really good run with getting podcast guests sorted out. And I'm wall-to-wall recording at the moment. Pretty well doing one a week. And again, this is working very well. What I found, the new rhythm I've got... Uh, now I'm doing three days a, a week of work, is that in the evenings, I try and record, I, I record, edit and research on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when I've done a day at work, and I actually find that a good little activity. So I'd be too tired, I think, to write and be creative in that time. But I, I find uh, doing a podcast interview, doing the research of that, creating the web pages I need to, and doing the edits, those are all good evening activities for me after a day at work or my three days of work. So that that's fallen into a nice little pattern now, and it's working very, very well. So very pleased with how the podcast is going there. That's hit all of those targets. Um, I did some, I can't, when I look at this, this is why you should do this planning, because I'm looking at this board now thinking, how the heck did I do this in three months? And a lot of the time you think, oh, I'm not getting enough done. I'm not making any progress. But I, I love this when I go through my, my quarterly board and I'm looking at this thinking, how have I fitted all this in, in three months? But I have, because there's the evidence. So if you, if you're one of these people who doesn't get that feeling of accomplishment, I'm probably that person. I'm always thinking about what needs to be done rather than what I've done. I do love to just sit and look at the board at the end of a quarter and think, wow, that's been a good quarter. Uh, this one has been a good quarter too, because I also got my, um, MailChimp unboxed and WordPress unboxed updates and books done. They were released too. Um, I always, I, you know, I always discount the, the non-fictions. I don't know why I do, but I, I, I do. Uh, but that, they're, they're book launches, uh, in this quarter. I did some, I've moved out of Get Response and I've moved into MailerLite. So I did that transition. That was just a, it's a technical thing. We have to do these things as authors. So I'm now fully into MailerLite. I've moved right out of Get Response and cancelled that account now. One of the things I was really keen to do this quarter was exercise. I'm, I'm really chuffed about this. I'm just, I put a little tally mark and you'll, you'll see this on the, the screenshot when I share it on the uh, resources for this week. I um, have been exercising. So uh, at least uh, I'm trying to get at least three exercises a week. In. I just wanted to build the habit that I'd lost with exercising. And I just figured that if I exercise on the mornings when I have to be up and out to go to the office, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that would help me to build the routine. And I've done that all over summer. Um, I started it in the summer holidays. So um, in this quarter, I have exercised in the mornings 32 times. Um, and, and so I have kept that up three, at least three days a week. Um, on the, by three work days. And I've actually, in a couple of weeks, I fitted in an extra exercise session. So, so what I'm aspiring to in the next quarter is I'd like to do my exercise on the three days a week that I'm at work and then one of the weekend days, Saturday or Sunday. And that's the bit I haven't been consistent with. So I'm aiming to exercise pretty well, well, four, four times a week, if I can, is what I'd like to, to do. And I feel far better for it. And I get to listen to audios and podcasts while I'm doing it. And that's another one of the reasons why I really like that time too. Um, something that's on my wider radar, and I keep hearing it. I hear it from everybody. Um, this getting up earlier in the mornings, um, writing a, a mindset diary and meditation. Meditation and diaries are, or journals as they're called, those 
those are the two things that I haven't tackled yet. And I know that so many successful people do these. I know that I would benefit from them because uh, mindset is one of my my struggles. I could go from horrendous lows about thinking it's I'm wasting my time. I'd be better off going to work full time, that my books are rubbish uh, or mediocre. I, I can go from those lows to then feeling incre- incredibly positive. So I know um, I'm fortunate in that even though I have those those peaks and troughs, uh, I keep giving myself a kick up the butt and keep going. Um, and, and, and I always have done. Um, but I, I would like to even out my mindset. So I know that journaling and I know that meditation are probably important things that I need to tackle. Um, so they're on my, I don't know when I'm, I'm going to tackle those, but I, I know I need to, to get into those. And if you've had any experience of them, do, do drop me a line and let me know. Um, and in fact, I might get a guest on who, who could talk about journaling at some time because I think they're important mindset things. Um, another thing I did is I put 10% samples of my books on Insta Freebie and Book Funnel. Um, I could give away 10% samples of my books, whether I'm on KDP Select or not. So I did those to send to, to, you know, beta readers and, and uh, to do promos and things like that. So I got 10% samples done and I adapted my covers so that they very clearly say sample because I'd had a review of somebody who got a sample, thought it was a, a real book, written a review and said, well, I mean, you get bizarre reviews, don't you? But, you know, I've only written, read 10% of this book because I thought it was a full book and, and, and it was marked lower accordingly because they hadn't read the whole book. I don't know why somebody would leave a review in that circumstance, but they did. So I've just made all that crystal clear. Um, had a couple of personal things. You'll see some blurred out areas um, on on the screen. Um, I hit my I've hit my personal um, goals, some financial goals and things in there. Things I'm trying to achieve. I hit those. Um, what else did I do? I did a um, I created an author site uh, at paulteague.net. I desperately needed to do that. I've got a nice little author site now for all three genres. Um, I delivered the corporate events that I needed to do. The corporate events I used to pay for the covers and the editing. Um, so, um, I wanted to have at least four of those. I've done many more than four, uh, in this quarter. So that helped me to hit my business financial targets to bring the right, um, money into the business to pay for all my expenses that I have as an author. Um, what else? We've done some other family things, uh, other family things. Oh, Dead of Night was released to all channels, then taken off all channels, uh, because, uh, because of course I've got into AMS ads. And um, so it was on all channels and now it's not. And also I wrote the short story for Craig Martell's um, collection of stories and, and of course got knocked back for that. So I, I wrote it, if you remember, in the diary. I told you that I'd written it. I was re- <laughs> really pleased with it, sent it off and I got a knock back and feedback f- uh, from Craig within 24 hours. So uh, there you go. It was uh, a nice intention, but it didn't quite work out. Um, so I've gone through that a uh, fair old speed because this is another long diary, but um, do do look at it on the screenshot that I've put on the page because when you see what you've done like that, um, it, it does help. It really helps to um, think, oh, 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 you know, I fitted in a day job. We fitted in all those breaks with the family, had a good summer with the family still and still managed to get all that uh, work done, all that productivity. So um, it's good. It makes you just sit back for a little bit and, and, and appreciate what you've achieved. And then, of course, I'm setting the next targets for quarter four. And I'll, I'll tell you about my targets in quarter four next week. I'll work through them and tell you what I'm hoping to achieve by Christmas. 
So, fantastic. Another busy diary, another long one today. Uh, apologies for that, but I do hope it's uh, useful. I just wanted to give a shout out to John Cronshaw, who was listening to my podcast diary last week on the way to Wolverhampton on the dreary M6. Now, those of us who live in, in Lancaster and beyond, John, John's uh, in Morecambe, uh, which is very close to, to Lancaster, but he'll know exactly what I mean by this. Um, when you, everybody who lives in our part of the world, when you pass Preston, it becomes, um, you know, your home when you pass Preston because all that horrible kind of city traffic disappears and you're in Ruralsville and it's lovely after that. You don't get traffic problems or anything. It's lovely. You st- hit lovely countryside. And, um, so everything beyond Preston starts to get a bit built up and unpleasant. And John's photograph from the car is one of these motorway concrete, um, bridges. And I even recognize the service station because I think I might have been, I don't know whether I passed that one. I was taking my oldest child down to Chester on Sunday to drop him off at university. So we were on the same M6 run, uh, but we may not have passed that service station, I don't think, uh, doing the same similar journey to John. Uh, but I know that the minute I pass Preston, I know I'm on the way home. It's always very pleasant when you hit that. You're in the, you're in, in the lovely uh, Lake District at that point, and it's very pleasant. So keep me... Uh, Keep sending those photos in wherever you're listening to the podcast. Just lift up your phone, take a photo, tell me where you're listening because they're always really great to see. And before I go, just a, a reminder that next week's guest, Monday's guest, is Amelia Hay. Amelia is the author of the soon-to-be-published James Lalonde thriller novels. And Amelia has, from the outset, decided to write seven novels. It's a seven-novel series. And I think that's really brave because, I don't know, I've never gone beyond three novels, a trilogy, and it, I said to her, well, it, it feels like sticking your neck out a bit, committed to seven, but that's what she's done. You'll hear why she's done it and how she does it as a new author on Monday, Monday's podcast. That's episode number 83 of Self-Publishing Journeys on Monday, the 2nd of October, 2017. A final reminder that I will have my quarter four goals for you next week, as well as hopefully use of the genre of the story that I'm going to be writing in the next quarter. I need to be getting my ideas tied down by then. So I'll be back with you next Saturday for another Pulse Podcast Diary. In the meantime, have a fabulous week of writing and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to Pulse Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.